be in 1 Peter today, chapter 2. We actually have a long text today. We're going to read chapter 2, verses 13, through chapter 3, verse 7. So, yeah, yeah, whoa. It's totally meta. It's going to be crazy. Uh, yeah, so we've been in this uh, a Sojourner's Guide, this study through 1 Peter. Uh, Peter writing to these multiple groups of people um, in modern-day Turkey about what it looks like to be a people of God, to be a people of God in, in a culture that doesn't necessarily recognize or like affirm their faith. <laughs> they find themselves feeling like outsiders, feeling like foreigners, and yet they live in a space. And Peter goes, hey, if you feel like foreigners, if this doesn't feel like home, it's not. Like, it's not home. That sojourner language that he uses, just like a couple weeks ago when we were in chapter two, I think it's verse 11 or 12. Verse 11, yeah, he, say, he calls them that because he goes, this isn't your place of permanence. Like, this is temporary. So eyes up, eyes on Jesus. Like, keep your eyes on God. Your, your permanent place of residence is the kingdom of heaven, and, and it will be established one day. But until then, this is how we operate. And so last week we were talking about uh, sin and the soul and just, just like Peter's warning uh, to us, like, hey, be careful. There's passions of the flesh, and they wage war against your soul. And it was a really fun, lighthearted, goofy conversation about, no, it wasn't. It was, it was real. We got real and it was beautiful uh, and it was awesome. So just thankful for these words. And um, what I feel like is, is verses 11 and 12, they, they point above themselves, like to the, the verses four through 10, because that, that's about being a royal priesthood. And he goes, hey, if you're going to be a royal priesthood, beware of this. Um, and then in light of verses 11 and 12 last week, where it says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This idea that if you keep your conduct honorable, even the people that speak evil of you will testify of the goodness of God. Um, that is directly attached to the passage we're going to read today. We're about to read something really long, okay? Um, and it's full of words that, if you're like me, are going to stress you out. <laughs> They are. They're going to just stress you out. You're going to get tense. Your palms are going to get sweaty. Maybe that's just me. Probably that last part was just me. Um, but we're going to talk about things like submitting to the emperor or submitting to your government. Um, we're going to talk about things like a, a master and a servant relationship, about wives submitting to husbands and husbands respecting wives. And there's going to be a tension literally all morning where I'm going to say certain words that ring a bell and that, that immediately make you think, he's talking about this, and I'm very sensitive to this topic, right? And, and the things that it will bring to mind are very important conversations, but for the most part, Peter isn't really talking about the things that come to mind. There's some things in our culture in this specific time that some of these words are used for today, and, and Peter's not really talking about that. So anytime I teach, my goal is to give context to the scriptures uh, and to show where they're timeless, where they reach forward 2,000 years and like clearly are speaking into our lives. But to also go, hey, Peter was writing to a specific group of people. Here was the context. When he said that, this is how they'd hear it. And so I'm going to ask this morning, love me, please be gracious with me as I, I try my best because I feel like I've been in a text that's out of my league, like just out of my league. But I'm just like, I'm shooting for the stars here. Um, but I feel like it, once we understand the context uh, that Peter is writing in and, and the people he's writing to, this is a beautiful passage. Um, and so I'm going to try to do that today. I'm going to try to give us context for the passage and show uh, where the principles in this text absolutely impact us right here, 
right now uh, in Nashville, Tennessee at this sweet little quaint venue called The Ruby, okay? All right, let's read a very long passage, okay? Be ready to um, pay attention for a little bit longer than normal. We'll start in chapter two, verse 13. If you're using one of our blue Bibles, I believe that's on page 588. Should be, okay? If I'm wrong, let me know. All right, verse 13. You guys ready? Ready to go on a road trip through scripture? A scriptural adventure? All right. Be subject or submit. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit... Sorry, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I'm going to pause and fix my mic because it's it's like really starting to lose control here. Hold on one second. It's going to kill me. It's like an intermission with a long passage, which was probably needed anyway. Chapter 3, verse 1. We'll read through verse 7, all right? Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, or submit, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure, oh, that's a comma, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the women as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayer may not be hindered. All right, let's pray. I need it. We need it. Let's do it. God, thank you for this morning. Um, Thank you for this passage even, Uh, Lord. Thank you for resources to check in on the history and the context. And God, thank you that your word is also timeless. Would you be gracious, Father, this morning? Would you help us to to hear what is helpful and and true? I don't want to ever um, bring tension to us where your word did not intend it. And I also don't want to relieve tension where your word did not intend it. So would you just help us walk that line today? And God, to just sit with your spirit leading us 
Help me to bring a word of clarity and uh, that is accurate to your heart. <laughs> so God, inevitably when I say something silly or that, that takes away from your word or even is inaccurate, expose it, God. Would you just expose it? And um, whatever is, is noteworthy and should stick in our hearts, would you help it stick? Yeah, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I forgot to say this. If at any point today you're like, I don't think I agree with that or that really frustrated me or I think he missed it, please come talk to me. Like, I, I, in no way am I above mistake. So I always want to, like, talk. I, I love you. I'm trying to do my best. So let's not do, like, the whole, he messed it up and I'm not going to tell him because I want to be friends, for real. I want to love you, be family, walk together. All right. Before we even get into this, I want to recognize something. It's something that stuck out to me uh, thinking about this text. Peter is someone who has suffered for the gospel underneath this, like, big system, the Roman Empire, which was flourishing in this day. And he's writing to a group of people who are also suffering for the, in large part due to their faith um, and just who they are. And so the way you write to someone underneath a system is different to how you write so, to someone outside of a system who can do something about the system, right? So if there's an oppressive system over here and there's people within it, you write to them differently then you would write to uh, people over here that have maybe have power or outside of that oppression, right? You would speak to them a little differently, all right? I think it's important. Did that even make sense what I just said? Okay, so you'd write to them a little differently. So know that Peter is writing to a people underneath the Roman Empire. Um, there are clear structures and systems, all with the goal uh, that that empire would thrive. Um, one of the biggest pieces to the Roman Empire was the household. Um, uh, the, the power of this empire was in the household and the structures, um, this was written about by many philosophers. Oh, by the way, I'm going to stick to my notes. Heavy. All right, I, I am. Um, uh, this order was written about by many philosophers, and Peter's going to take some time to address that here. Um, he's going to start with the empire, uh, something that everyone's very aware of at this moment, like the Roman Empire, the most powerful empire in all the world. Then he's going to move to the master-servant conversation and then husband and wife. And Peter's going to address what it looks like to walk in their world with the posture of Jesus. That's the biggest picture here is how to walk in your given situation with the posture of Jesus. This is not his manifesto on slavery. This is not his manifesto on gender roles. All the things that we'll read and go, well then, is he just like peddling a narrative that is killing people and hurting people? And that, that's, a, that's important. We're gonna feel that and it's heavy. He is not. This is not a dissertation on the master-slave relationship. Like, he is writing to a people in a circumstance, helping them take on the posture of Jesus for the sake of the world, okay? So, um, yeah, just, just be aware of that as we walk through this. So, we're gonna use a word a lot today, um, submission, uh, and it's gonna apply to all three of these areas, that, that, that government level, um, that, that master-servant level, uh, and then the husband and wife level. And I, I wanna talk about this word submission and where we see it in, in scripture. So, um, Let's talk first about government and subversive submission, okay? So this government piece. So scripture, know this, has a pattern of submission throughout the entire text. Like Exodus twenty two twenty eight will say, you shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people. You know, God is a God of order, not chaos or anarchy. Um, and when we think of the word submission, um, I wanna understand what this means. So it doesn't mean um, to blindly obey. Um, you are not a, a yes sir or, or yes ma'am kind of person. That's not what that means, all right? Uh, it means to voluntarily place oneself under someone else. It is not synonymous with obedience, okay? 
So I don't know about you, but when I hear submit, I think of obedience. So when I submit to someone, whatever they say goes, okay? That's not what it means. It means to voluntarily place oneself under someone else, all right? Um, So submission does not sacrifice the ways of God, but it does respect the ruling authorities, all right? So let's break into some examples, okay? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Does anybody, if you grew up in Sunday school or went to VBS like once, you heard about the dudes that got put in a furnace and didn't burn, right? It's a pretty cool story. This is a good example of people who submitted to their government while staying true to the ways of God. There was an instruction to bow down to a false god. They did not bow down, right? They also did not uh, revolt or uh, cause a war in their system, right? The system in place said, if you do not bow, we will throw you into a furnace. They said, we will not bow to a false god. We will accept your punishment. And they humbly accepted the punishment. Thanks be to God, the fire did not burn them up. End of that story was really, really awesome. They all didn't always end that way, but it was great. Daniel, another great example. The, the guy that was thrown in the lion's den. You guys remember, you ever heard that story? Some dude in a den with lions, because apparently lion's dens were a thing back then. You don't want to be thrown in those, and Daniel was. And he had, an, he, had a clear, he had a clear instruction, right? Daniel had a clear instruction. Like, hey, you don't pray to God anymore. And he was caught praying. And he submitted, right? So he didn't blindly obey an instruction not to talk to his God. He was assured of the God he was serving. But he also didn't revolt. He submitted to this authority. We see this with Jesus himself, with the religious elite, clearly instructing him to take away the words he had said, to to deny the words he'd spoken. Like, you are not the Messiah. You will not tear down the temple and raise it again in three days. Like, you must be silent. And what did he do? Like, he kept preaching the gospel. Peter and James... In Acts 4, they preach the gospel. They're confronted by authorities, and they tell them to stop preaching. We thought we killed that guy. Stop talking about him. And they go, hey, whether it's right in your eyes or not that we keep preaching, you can be the judge. We are not going to stop preaching. They are flogged. They are beaten. They submit to that, and they leave rejoicing because they've encountered the sufferings that their Savior had encountered. Really interesting moment. So these people submit without obeying. And I think it's important that we remember who Peter is as we're reading this. I think this is a a fun moment where we're reading these words from a guy who had done uh, the anarchy way, the, the chaos way, the riot way. If you remember, when Jesus was arrested in the garden, Peter's first response is to what? What does he grab? He grabs a sword, right? Like, he grabs a sword and he cuts off the ear of a servant. Like, I don't know if he was aiming at an authority figure, but he ends up just hitting the servant. That's kind of sad. I'm like, that's tough. That guy wasn't really at fault. He does anyway. And what is Jesus' response? He's like, hey, put away the sword. If you live by it, you die by it. Peter's impulse, he understands our impulse to go, no, no, no. You fight back. They bring swords, you bring swords. They bring hate, you bring hate. That's how this works. We will win this, right? But Jesus says, no, that's not how this works. We obey the Lord, we respect the authorities, and through that subversive submission, like we testify of the goodness of who God is. At this point, I'd like to remind us of, uh, I think I said this a few weeks ago too, the soldier at the foot of the cross when Jesus drew his last breath. The very murderers of Jesus profess that Jesus truly was the Son of God after watching Jesus submit, die the way he died, is what led to a soldier's confession that Jesus truly was the Son of God. I think it's really important. 
Now, how do we bring this to our context, right? Because in the end, our government, however you feel about it, all right, I know we have feelings about this, okay? I'm alive and online and aware, okay? (laughs) Um, However you feel, the instruction is still the same for us to submit to our government. Now, what does this look like? I do not have a discourse on this. Again, this feels out of my league, but I do have a few thoughts that teaching team kind of helped me form. In our government, we have a voice. And in in an ideal world, the freedom to use it. Like in America, that's the idea, right? Is that you have a voice and the freedom to use it. Um, That was never made more clear, well, one clear example recently, to not be hyperbolic, was this week, right? There was this, these immigrants, these families being separated. There was a number that circulated, call the number, say that, what, and then what happened? President Trump stopped what was happening, right? That's an example. And some of you go, well, yeah, well, there's plenty more ground to make up. Keep using your voice, like, right? So you go, well, I'm still frustrated. Use your voice, like submit to the government, but use your voice. By all means, we are empowered to do so. This is not a, hey, whatever the president, whatever, the con- whatever our government says, we just blindly follow. Like, the way that we're set up, we have a freedom to use our voice. And I would say, if you go, yeah, well, some people don't have a voice. That's the power. We have a voice. We can use a voice. So if you find yourself in a space where you have a voice and you can use your life to free those who don't have a voice, to deliver people from oppression, like, this is not going, no, 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 don't forget, submit to your government. Don't do that. Don't resist. No, absolutely. But the question is, how will you go about it? Will you return hate for hate? Will you slander? Will you add to the chaos and the anarchy online? Like, all I see on Twitter, not all I see, but a lot of what I see is just hate from one side to the next. I don't even know how much activity is actually happening, how much impact is happening. I do know there's a lot of yelling. And I go, as people of God, how will we submit and honor our government? And some of you go, if you tell me to honor my government, I'm like, hey, Jesus did this, and he was crucified. We're listening to him right now. If anyone goes, I've got some beef with the government that was overseeing my life, it's Jesus. It's Peter. It's these people, and they go, no. In every situation, we remember that we are not, our battle is not with flesh and blood, right? It's with the spiritual realm. Like, on every side of a conversation, there is a soul on the line, what I love about this text is Peter never forgets the soul. Like, there are people. The hope in this is that people will see our ways, and in this life or the next, we'll glorify God in how we go about our business, how we go about submitting and honoring the government. Remember verse 12. All of this is that they will remember to, that, that one day they will glorify God. This is the power of that subversiveness, that submission, okay? All right, we're one-third done. I feel no less relaxed. Um, I hope that made sense. Again, let's talk after if you have any questions. So let's move down. Verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. That that whole passage. Okay, Uh, again, let's remember context. Let's remember this is not Peter's dissertation on the harmful system of oppression and slavery. Um, I do want to give some some understanding. Um, There is a word in the text that's used for slave uh, in the New Testament. That's not the word being used here. Um, the, that word is actually used, I think it's like doulos. I think, is that the word? Is it doulos? Okay. I can look at Cody because he knows the Greek. He does. I'm like, Cody, what? Um, but this word doulos, it means to be a slave. And 
Um, that's used to say us to God, like we are slaves to God, which is a, a very good and, and incredible situation. The word being used here, um, I can't pronounce it, but uh, it, it means like a servant. So this has a wide range, okay, this servant to master relationship. Now, um, I don't want to lighten uh, the, the power of this. So sometimes this would be an oppressive situation, like people who were unjustly put in uh, a situation where they were slaves to a household. In other situations, these, these servants could be doctors. They could manage the household. There could be good, healthy relationship. It's all there. It's kind of a, uh, uh, I'm thinking of the word jambalaya, but that's not the word. It's like a crock pot. I, I don't know. Everything's thrown in, okay? I'm sorry. There's a, there's a situation, there, there are every situation represented. You've got some really unjust, like, like uh, harsh, oppressive situations, and you've got some where servants are in a, given the circumstance, a healthy environment. It is not a healthy situation, but they're not being abused or, or taken advantage of. However, there's, here's a quote from William Barclay, a, a guy who wrote this commentary. It says, it would be wrong to think that the situation of slaves was always wretched and unhappy and that they were always treated with cruelty. Many slaves were loved and trusted members of the family. But one great inescapable fact dominated the whole situation. In Roman law, a slave was not a person, but a thing, and had absolutely no legal rights whatsoever. For that reason, there could be no such thing as justice where a slave was concerned. Aristotle writes, there can be no friendship nor justice towards inanimate things. Indeed, not even towards a horse or an ox, nor yet towards a slave as a slave, for master and slave have nothing in common. A slave is a living tool, just as a tool is an inanimate slave. Okay? At this point, there are probably around 60, according to some philosophers, some theologians, around 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. There was this idea of, we are powerful, we are rich, why would we do our own things? Like, when people can do them for us. That was kind of the posture there. Now, Peter, again, is not giving a discourse or a dissertation on uh, the, the system of slavery. If you want to get a cool perspective, the book of Philemon, which is in the New Testament, written by Paul, is actually written to a slave owner um, about a slave and him urging him to set him free. Um, but it's very nuanced. It's really interesting. Paul is very considerate of the souls on both sides. So if you want some insight on the New Testament take on um, how Paul would even uh, address that conversation. But um, for this one, Peter is writing to people and reminding them, uh, your truest position is as a child of God. Um, that first and foremost, you are a citizen in the kingdom of God. And that in, that in that citizenship, in that kingdom, you are free. So wherever you find yourself in your circumstance, you are free. And this is a question of how will you use that freedom, even if temporarily locked into a place of oppression. It borrows from Isaiah 53. It talks about Christ's example, that he has suffered for us, that he has left an example. This is powerful for two reasons. The gospel of Jesus is powerful regardless of your lot. That's really good. No matter what your situation is, Jesus brings freedom and life, no matter where you find yourself. That's powerful. It's a powerful thing. It also breaks into broken systems and breathes life. As the people of God operate as the people of God in systems and subversively love and submit and honor, people will see the goodness of God. Those systems will not last. Whether we live to see them broken down or not, they will one day break. And in all of this, what I remember the most is the soul and the sojourner. Um, 
Peter is reminding us there are souls in, uh, on the line here, even when it's your own master, even when it's at its worst, like people will see the glory of God and how you live, like live with honor and respect that they may see the goodness of God. Remember Jesus, the greatest example of someone who lived in honor and respect when being beaten unjustly. Let's see what else did I want to say. Oh, man, I forgot. Dang it. Well, I was about to say something else. If I remember it, I'll come back to it. Okay, um, that's really frustrating because I had another thing that I was thought was going to really complete that point. Um, okay, we'll wrap that up. I may come back to that. Can we, is that okay if we move forward and that wasn't smooth and clean? I'm sorry. Um, all right, let's move forward to chapter 3, verse 1. This is about uh, spouses and subversive submission, all right? I'm gonna stick to my notes really carefully here, okay? <laughs> the Roman household, a critical component to the empire. Remember the context here, okay? He's writing to spouses whose spouse is an unbeliever. Uh, unbeliever. Don't know what that word is. He's writing to spouses uh, whose spouse is an unbeliever, okay? So he's writing to people who go, hey, wives whose husbands do not believe in Jesus, Husbands whose wives do not believe in Jesus. I think this will also have some application to Christian relationships, but first and foremost, all right, wives to husbands who do not know God, all right? He's gonna say, likewise, wives submit or be subject to. So same train of thought. The government conversation, the master-slave, we're not leaving that and going to some random topic. Same train of thought, this submission, this, this like servant heart that testifies of the goodness of God, Okay? Just like the emperor, just like the master slave, live such good lives that they may be one. Peter's basically gonna say, if your husbands don't know Jesus, you are in a prime position to win them over with your life, how you live. This is about putting the goodness of Jesus on display. So he says, be respectful, be pure, like be true and faithful to your husband. Be respectful, honor him. Those words, when you ignore and we never need to, I guess, but when we ignore our current context, when you say, hey, if you're a wife, respect and honor your husband, the unbeliever, that he may see the goodness of God, I don't think any of us, I don't think would have any qualms there. Like, it's a good word. Like, honor the person you are in covenant with. Respect them. Be pure. Be in communion with them. He's going to talk about adorning in verse 3. and says, don't let your adorning be external the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. He is not giving a dress code here, okay? That's just important. This, is, this text, the reason I'm having to be so meticulous, it's been misused, like, a lot. <laughs> so I'm like, here's what I think it's actually getting at. He's not saying you can or can't wear this. What he's saying is let your beauty work from the inside out. Uh, do not be uh, convinced that how you look, how you appear is where you should put your identity especially in marriage. Like, let your beauty work from the inside out. Let your beauty come from within. Let your adorning be in the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty, the imperishable beauty that never fades. Then he uses these words that, that, might, that might make us cringe. He says, beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, okay? Again, this has been misused, so let's talk about it. All right, gentle, this is an amazing term. This is not negative. This is not saying, oh, you, like, be gentle, you fragile little human. That's not saying that. There, there is no like, negative, like, there is no like, connotation to this. The word gentle is used in the New Testament to describe Jesus more often than not. 
Gentle is most commonly used in the New Testament to describe Jesus, right? This is a good word. It's not a negative. Be quiet. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 through 12, it's to men and women. Paul says, make it your ambition to lead quiet lives, that in it you can win the outsider. So when you live in this empire, you live a quiet life that is gentle. You work with your hands. You're honorable. So the people that watch you will know that the God you follow is good. All of this is taking on the posture of Jesus, so that how you live, your character, how you, how you live around people would just testify of the goodness of God. Um, it is not um, a dissertation on women's roles in church or even women's roles uh, in marriage uh, as maybe it's been interpreted in the past. So let's keep reading. Thank you guys for sticking with me. I know this is meticulous. I'm very aware Verse five, for this is how holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children. All right, so Sarah's calling Abraham Lord, and immediately we're like, hold up, hold up, hold up. <laughs> I call one thing Lord, and it's certainly like not a wife-husband relationship, right? That's like, that belongs to, the, that belongs to like the Lord, capital L, right? Um, different use of the word. We do not use the word Lord the way that Peter is using it now, okay? We don't do that anymore. This is a term of respect. Um, this has been misused and misunderstood for a long time, but this is a term of respect. Um, it, is, it is simply to show respect and honor uh, to your husband. Uh, maybe a, a good example this would be like sir or uh, I don't know. Whatever term of sir might even be a little weird <laughs> in our context, honestly. Um, but it's just this, it's continuing on this instruction to clothe yourself in respect and to honor your spouse. Spouse, Because even in Abraham's situation, we know that Sarah called the shots at times, and that Abraham submitted, and that's just like how it was. Sarah, I, I'll tell you, if you want to know the examples, I'll tell you about them. But in that relationship, it was not only Abraham calling the shots. So this is not a passage going, hey, if you're a wife, like, just be quieter and let the man do what he does and like, lead the house. Like, he, he's the one that calls the shots and does everything. That's not what he's saying, okay? He's saying show honor and respect. Again, in the context where your husband is a non-believer, that he may see the character of Jesus and come to know God. All of us would say there's a situation where there's a husband and wife, the wife knows the Lord, and the husband comes to know God. That was a beautiful situation, right? These are some of the character traits that Peter says, if you'll display these traits, it will be honorable and gentle and quiet in the way that Jesus was honorable and gentle and quiet. Your husband will see the goodness of Jesus. This only gets better. Verse seven, likewise, that word is important. Again, continuing in thought. We're all connected here, okay? Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way or show respect, show honor to the woman. Treat your wives with respect. Then he says something that's stupid. No, it's not stupid at all. It's really good. <laughs> Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you. Let's talk about the thing that makes us cringe and let's talk about the thing that's actually super beautiful and liberating about this text, Okay. This word, weaker vessel, all right? Our teaching team actually reached out to several women just to hear what they thought and how they felt. And um, some, it, it rose some tensions, and some went, no, I get it. Like, okay, I, I think I kind of understand what that means. And, you know, what Peter is addressing here is something that the readers would not have had qualms here, would not have felt tense, would not have went, wait, what? Like, in this day, like, men predominantly went off to war. They were the warriors. They were the strong ones. And that's the physical sense, whether it's in the animal kingdom or in humanity, like it was just understood. Males are typically 
please hear me. I know there are women who are stronger than me in this room, like right now, <laughs> like literally. Like I don't wanna have an arm wrestling competition with each girl because I'll lose like 40% of them. I don't want to do that. I understand women are strong. It was understood in this day. Men were just stronger physically in general. This was not a critique, right? It was like, hey, who you protect. You protect the weaker, okay, so it's talking in part physically, but it's also talking in rights. Men in this day in the Roman Empire had more rights. Like they just had more privilege. Peter is not given the green light to that way of living. It is the context he is writing in, okay? What we miss when we see that weaker vessel word, which I think is totally misunderstood and misinterpreted because of the tensions we feel today, what we miss is what he says right after. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. He goes, he says something insane right there. We think the insane part is weaker vessels. No, the insane part is when he says they're heirs. That's when it's like, wait, hold up, that's odd. Like, in a place where men had all the rights, they were heirs, they acquired. Peter says, hey, husbands, your wives, they are equal. They are heirs with you. They join you. They receive the goodness of God. This is radical. Women were not heirs. This did not fit the paradigm in this moment. And yet Peter says, you treat your wife with honor. You lift her up. You respect her for she is an heir alongside of you. Hopefully that was helpful. Okay. <laughs> to those of you um, who are married to non-believers, it's like, will you let your life be your sermon? Um, this is not one, one side note, this is not going, hey, if you're in a, in a relationship with a non-believer and they're abusive, it's on you to be gentle and quiet and submissive that they may see the goodness of God by no means. Like, so there are moments where it's just, it, it is absolutely um, definitive and, and important to walk away, to step away. But I do think this is a, a powerful uh, word for those who are in relationships with people who don't know God, um, if that made sense. To those in Christian relationship, I think this is still a good word. May we be a people that live with honor and respect uh, and lift up and serve uh, one another in our relationships. So, all right, to finish this up, I think this conversation was a conversation about your truest citizenship is in the kingdom of God, and in that kingdom, you are free. So no matter where you find yourself, you are free in the name of Jesus. And the question is, how will you use that freedom? How will you go about it? And so this entire text is cloaked with language that cares for the soul on every side. In a culture that often has dividing lines that we accidentally cross sometimes and we find ourselves feeling the tension of needing to choose a side, how will we be a people that voice our beliefs, that voice our opinions? Will we be a people that, that spew hate, that don't submit, that don't show honor, uh, but that instead seek to devile and to tear people down? Or we be a people that honors others, respects others, and shows the goodness of Jesus. The good news of this text is that God invites anyone and everyone on the redeeming work of the gospel of Jesus. No matter your situation, God sees you as someone who administers the reality and the goodness of Jesus. I believe this is a liberating conversation. This has been a text that's been read to send us something that really, like, puts you down, puts you in a box, gives you a low ceiling. But instead, I feel like it's a liberating conversation, one that frees you. And one that in the end says that when you meet with suffering, you can rejoice with Jesus. You are free in him. So the biggest struggle I had with this text, other than the entire teaching, 
uh, was where to go after it. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to teach it, and I definitely don't know what we're going to do with it. The question that, I, that was hitting me this morning as I was just talking to, to Aaron and Brandon and the guys on the teaching team was, we have freedom. How will we, how will we use our freedom to display the goodness of Jesus? All of us find ourselves in relationships, in workplaces, in places of government, in this culture at this time, feeling tensions around people that need to see the goodness of Jesus. And we are the ones that know God. We have this freedom. And I think the question that's just percolating in my heart is, man, how will I be a person that uses the freedom I have in Jesus to honor, to respect those around me in such a way that they see me and go, I don't know what I believe, but whatever that person's after, whatever God he believes in, that God is good and worth following. Like, that's the hope, the aim of this. And then also, biggest picture of 1 Peter is that sojourner language. This is temporary. Peter was able to write. Peter, one persecuted, one beaten, one eventually murdered for his faith, was able to write to people stuck in oppressive systems and write this way because he had a posture. He understood this is not the final say. So better that your master, that your government, that your wife, that your husband join you in eternity, our permanent place of residence, than not. All right, so we're going to go to communion. I think uh, I, what time do we have right now? Yeah, we'll do, uh, we'll do a, a little bit more of a brief communion, only because we have an 11 a.m., so we'll, we'll, we're kind of working with time right now. Um, but I'll pray. We can get up, um, go to the middle, go grab a cup and bread. A lot of times we'll circle up and talk to one another. Um, if you want to do that, you can. But my, my, like, my next step will be, as you hold communion, just ask yourself, God, how can I use my freedom, my citizenship, citizenship in the kingdom to display your glory, to show people the goodness and the character of Jesus, that they may see like the goodness of God, the reality of him in our lives? So I'll pray for us. Um, I'll be back there if you have any questions. If you're like, I don't know what you just said, let's talk. I'd love to talk with you. Um, God, I thank you for this word. Man, I thank you for a gracious people to listen to a teacher that felt very fragile and unsure. Like, thank you, God, for listeners who are just gracious. And God, I pray if there's any tensions, any questions, anything that felt unclear, I pray that through community, through talking with me, through talking with each other, that you would bring clarity. I believe you have all the answers, <laughs> so Lord. Um, and I believe that you're comfortable with questions. So God, will you help us just to take this conversation and to apply it in whatever way? Um, yeah, I pray over communion. Thank you, Jesus, that in your life, um, we find life, um, God, that because of your death and resurrection um, that is represented in the, in the bread and the juice, uh, we find life, and, and we get to display this life for our world. Yeah, so we love you. Lift you up. In Jesus' name, amen.